Now, uh, at this point, we let the youngest children are meeting. Okay. Newborns, one, two, probably three-year-olds. Okay. So we can let them go at this point. He said, I don't know which class. Is it two classes or one? Babies and two and three-year-olds. Okay. That does not include husbands. <laughs> now, our message is going to be uh, abbreviated today because we have our uh, communion service. Um, I have been the last few weeks based on the series on music and worship that I did last summer, uh, talked about the theology of the hymns and particularly the, Christ, uh, the Christmas hymns. As we're in the season of Advent and Hanukkah and Christmas and Epiphany, I want to uh, do those through this time period and I've done that the last couple of weeks. Um, this week I want to do a Christmas hymn that I believe has the greatest level of theology in it. We've, we actually just sang it, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. This, this uh, hymn is the most theologically complex of the Christmas carols, and the biblical themes related to the coming of the Messiah are theirs. Now, in the interest of time, because I don't have time to really go through this the way I'd like to, uh, I'm just going to give you a text for each of the phrases, but there are many that could be done. I, um, I went through a period where um, I wasn't sure how Christian Christmas was. Um, I had read a book called The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop, an incredibly uh, false text, but I didn't know that. Uh, and went through a period of really testing everything. You guys know me, I can't do anything the easy way. I've got to struggle through all of this stuff. And uh, I just was going to shut down anything that might be pagan, uh, and particularly these, these Christmas things that might be just a synchronism of paganism and all that kind of thing that you hear this time of year all the time. So I began to study both the liturgy of Christmas and the hymns of Christmas. And while you can say what you want about a lot of the trappings that get thrown into that as the celebration happens, that's... That's true of any holy day. If you have a holy day, you begin to add things to it. And those things that get added to it tend to be geared for children and tend to be geared for fun. And pretty soon they hijack the meaning of the holy day. But the holy day itself has significant meaning. And what we are celebrating is not the birth of a baby, but the incarnation and its meaning in our lives. So I want to uh, talk about the biblical and theological tone for our rejoicing that comes out of this hymn. It's hymn number 277. If you want to look along in your hymnal, uh, that's great. I'm not going to uh, go through um, the final line of each verse. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king because you know that. Uh, but I want to begin with uh, that first line that says that same thing. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. In Luke's gospel, chapter 2 we are given the story of the angels uh, speaking to the shepherds. And that notion of the shepherds is a fascinating uh, study 
there is reason to believe uh, that these shepherds were actually priests because the priests were required to learn all about sheep and shepherding so that when they did the sacrifices in the temple, they would uh, be uh, prepared. And so they spent their early training as shepherds who would be out in these fields near Jerusalem in, in the Bethlehem area. And that may be who these, uh, who these people uh, were. The scripture tells us that, uh, that the... That the um, the, the uh, shepherds were there, uh, and the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened, or the King James sore afraid. I can't hear that without thinking of that verse. Um, and the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying. You notice it says saying, not singing. Interesting. We could have some fun with that. I'm not going there. Just want you to know that this statement begins with the story of the angels and then is going to begin to look at incredible theological content. So, what do they say? Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. I want you to look at Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, the Apostle Paul tells us, If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The purpose of his incarnation is to reconcile God and man in, in this one whom we celebrate uh, today. So we begin with this notion of reconciliation in the, in the Christmas hymn. Then it says, Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with the angelic host proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. That brings us to the book of Micah. Chapter 5, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephratah. Now, why does he say Ephratah? There are two Bethlehems, one in the north, one in the south. This is the little one in the south of Judah. Too little to be among the clans of Judah. But one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago and his days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time 
when she who is in labor has borne a child, then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. He will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. You can see that this writer is familiar with biblical texts and not just writing the song, Oh, how I love you, God, you're wonderful to me. I think that's great. You know, that kind of thing. There's deep theology in this. Uh, in the second verse, which is my favorite, uh, each line ties into Scripture. It begins with, Christ by highest heaven adored. We had this verse already read, Hebrews 1.6. When He brings His firstborn into the world, He says, let all the angels worship Him. Wow. Okay. All of heaven is worshiping Him as He comes in the incarnation. Christ the everlasting Lord. Philippians chapter 2, 9 and, uh, through 11 says that he humbled himself and became man. And then he humbled himself as a man to death. And therefore God has given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess in heaven and on earth that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold Him come. Again, a passage we read today. Galatians 4. Uh, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem them who are under law. For this gospel is to the Jew first. And the disciples of Jesus were themselves Jews. Salvation, Jesus says, is of the Jews. Offspring of the virgin womb. Matthew 1 verse 23 says that Mary was a virgin, that she was uh, a woman who gave herself to God, that this conception and this birth might be uh, an incarnation of God himself. And then it says, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hebrews chapter 2 is, is uh, an important verse. I want you to look at that one. Hebrews chapter 2, 14. Now, I could go into many verses. I'm just trying to give you a notion that there's deep theology behind these songs. And we should be, we should be careful about singing Christian songs that have shallow theology. And the church is filled with that at this point. Therefore, since the children share the f in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So Jesus took on flesh and blood for the very purpose of the passion that he might die and rise again on our behalf. And uh, the Godhead is in, in that context. Hail the incarnate deity, while well, we just uh, recited John 1, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. In Him was life, and the light was the light of men. That Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, and in that sense, He is incarnate deity. God the begotten, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him. The Scripture says, Pleased as man with men to dwell. First John chapter 1. 
verses 1 to 4. One of my favorite passages. That which was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked on and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we saw it and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And we have seen and heard, and we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John says, hey, this life, this one we, we ate with Him. We walked with Him. We touched Him. We experienced Him. We listened to Him talk. We watched Him do the miracles. We were eyewitnesses of this. This was not some secret thing that we just thought up. There is an experience of the incarnate God that we were there. He was pleased as man with men to dwell. And then, of course, Jesus, our Emmanuel, that Matthew one passage again that is quoting the Isaiah passage of the Emmanuel that was given to remind Judah that God was with them. But in that case, he simply meant God was for them. But in this case, Matthew says, this fulfills, this fills fuller, this is beyond that. This is, in fact, God with us. And that's an incredible statement. Then we move to the third verse, the third and final verse. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His kingdom there shall be no end. There's deep, deep meaning in all of those words. Hail the Son of Righteousness. I want you to look at this one. Uh, the prophet, the Italian prophet Malachi. Uh, Malachi, I'm sorry. Just go to Matthew and turn left. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healings, healing in His wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves, from the stall. This notion of the rejoicing that will happen because this one will rise with healing in his wings. Now, only the first part is here. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. John 1. In him was life and the life was the light of man. The light shines in darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it, did not overtake it, just can't deal with it. Boy, you turn light on and darkness flees. Risen with healing in his wings. There's the second part of the Malachi passage. Mild he lays his glory by. Philippians 2-7. to Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Who though in the form of God did not think it was something to be grasped or demonstrated. But humbled himself. And emptied himself becoming a man. What theologians call the kenosis. He, in, he independently separates 
anything that he can do and becomes totally dependent on the Father so that Jesus could say, the words that I say are not my words. They're the words my Father has given me. I'm not doing the miracles. It's my Father in me. He's doing the work. Believe it for that sake. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. A manifestation of God. Born that man no more may die. John chapter 11, verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. Born to raise the sons of earth. John chapter 6. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. This is the will of the one who sent me. That all who come to me I will keep. And in the last day I will raise them up. Raise them up in the last day. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. First Peter chapter 1. You are born again by the word that was proclaimed to you. New birth. A birth from above. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Pretty incredible stuff. A lot of deep theology behind the words of those Christmas hymns. And they really are things that we need to teach our children. Not just to sing the words, not just to memorize the words, but to think about the words. To meditate on the words. There is an incredible amount of scripture in, this, in these three verses set to music, that are sung year after year by people with nary a thought of what they mean. And yet there's deep, deep theology in them. And so we come to celebrate and to worship that one uh, that the angels told about, the song of the angels or the proclamation of the angels, so that we might proclaim it to our friends, our family, our children, and those who will hear. Let's pray.